Well, why don't we, why don't we take this time and pray as we give over this time to our amazing God who we've been singing about this morning. And so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be in your house this morning. Lord, that uh, we could be anywhere, and yet we are drawn, we are invited, and we take part in this thing called the body of Christ. That, God, we can enter in community here to worship, to pray, to gather in the name of Jesus. We don't gather for me. We don't gather for ourselves. God, we don't gather for just the music in and of itself, but that, God, we can come into this place for you and you alone. And so, Jesus, we invite you into this place, spirit of the living God. You are a God who is living and active. You did not stop all those years ago. You are alive. And so, spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on each and every single individual here? God, out of the weeks we've come, the things that we've said, the things that we've done, the things we regret that have come out of this previous week. God, we take hold of the reality and the truth that the promise you said is your mercies are new every single morning. And so God, we can come into this place taking hold of that mercy that you are not a God who rejects us. You welcome us, you invite us, you accept us into this place by your presence through the cross because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so spirit of the living God, we evoke your presence here because we cannot go forward. We cannot understand. We cannot think the thoughts you are calling us to think about without your spirit guiding and directing our thoughts and our hearts. And so Lord, may we have ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit is wanting to do in our hearts, in our midst, in this church, at Eastgate Alliance, in this day, in this time. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, we lift up all these things. Amen. So good morning to all of you. Uh, For those of you that are joining us online, uh, we welcome you here. as Friday was coming, I, I'm just going to be very candid. I just came out of a really rough week. Um, and so I actually stand here really grateful and thankful that God is not a God uh, who leaves us hanging, who leaves us high and dry. Uh, I was relaying to Debbie on Friday. I, was, I knew I was slated to preach, but my mind has to shift gears between things I do each week. And so when youth is on, uh, my mind is just students, youth, program stuff, and all those things. And so to switch gears to think about the fact that I have to come up and preach, my mind has to like compartmentalize all these things. And so Friday morning, we always have to kind of, or we should do it previously to Friday morning, but such is life for me, uh, late as always. And so I'm begging God throughout the week, can you please give me a word? I don't come up here and like, I never, this is never my posture where I just take the word of God, drop it down and say, oh, this verse, I'll teach on that. My heart is always to ask God, what is it that you want to say to your people? You're not my people. I love shepherding and being part of this as a pastor and on staff, but you're not my people. You are the people of God. And so my heart is to say, God, what do you have for your people? And all week, headache after headache, uh, the hangups and highs and lows of being a parent where children are just like, why is this the craziest week? Uh, and all of these things. And so Friday morning comes up and Debbie's like, or afternoon, Debbie comes in, hey, do you got something? And I was like, I'm not really, in my mind, I was, I was contemplating things. And what do you know, I'm running errands to do stuff for youth. And as I'm driving, I'm praying and asking and, and contemplating things. I'm like, God, what do you want to say? And he dropped Genesis chapter 12 uh, into my heart. And so as we are unpacking that uh, this morning, I just, I want to say out of the gate that I am flabbergasted that it is already September. 
I am flabbergasted that this past Friday we kicked off youth because it felt like July was last week. And I was like, oh, I have time. I can prepare. I can get things organized and ready. Leaders, we can have meetings and all this stuff. And then September comes. I'm like, man, it's already here. And I'm, I'm just taken aback by it because with September comes all of this new, getting back into the swing of things, ministries kicking off again, things starting up again, programs being initiated and, and executed and all these things. And everything comes to this place in fall. If you were driving down the roads, if you ever take Aviation Parkway, right now everything's this, this green, this lush green. Like even in our backyard right now, it's green. But the glorious splendor of fall will soon be upon us as we watch the leaves turn from the various shades of green to the yellows and oranges and reds. And even if it's for a short while, because fall doesn't last very, very long, but even if for a short while we take it all in, we go on drives, we go on hikes, and we watch the world around us as it shifts to a new season. And yet, as that last leaf falls whenever it should, When that last leaf falls, I don't know about you, but I'm reminded of earth's rhythm, that consistent rhythm of growth to decay, of growth to decay, of growth to decay. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's a morbid way uh, to, to take things right now, to talk about death and decay. And yet fall for us, perhaps with that morbid piece, Interestingly enough, it's also beautifully sublime. You see, for the same rhythm we see in nature, from early spring blossoms, bursting with life, if you are someone who gardens, you anticipate this time of year. You're excited, you're waiting for the flowers to bloom, the trees to blossom, and your favorite foliage, whatever that might be for you, you're excited to see it again because spring brings with it this sense of newness and life and anticipation and hope. And with all of that, that life, that potential, we come to fall where we see that transition and subsequently we experience winter's decay. And for people, it is in some ways the same rhythm that we are invited into. See, as followers of Jesus, we are familiar with the rhythm. Some perhaps might find it easier than others, but it's an ongoing rhythm nonetheless because you see, Trees, foliage, plants, they don't live on faith and trust. They aren't conscientious of the reality that they are in a new season. Oh, I am in fall, and I am now preparing to do all these things because winter's coming. They're getting, they don't think these thoughts. The seed germinates, it sprouts, it grows, it matures. It just follows the progress. It's what they do. It's part of their design. They simply follow the pattern established by our creator. Trees don't approach winter with a sense of fear and dread. Perhaps we do as Canadians. But they don't approach it with that same mentality. For as sure as fall and winter come, so do spring and summer. You see, the, the, the natural order of things that God has created and established and ordained to carry out and carry out year after year, it is a rhythm of hope. What is interesting, however, is how often we as people, maybe, maybe some more than others, maybe you're like, I'm afraid of nothing. You are a spectacle. Because we as people, we wrestle with fear. We fear things like change. 
We love predictable. We love it. To get up in the morning and know if I leave at this certain time and get to the place, I'll get my coffee, I'll be at work. And we love to know if we can calculate and order it out and rhythm and rhythm and rhythm. We love being able to predict those things. Take that moment, oh, tire got flat or delayed for work and our whole day is thrown off. We love what we can calculate. If I make this decision, I need to know definitively somehow, some way what the result will end up being. We fear seasons of transition because it can be unexpected. And realistically, if we ask ourselves internally, we don't know what we're doing. (laughs) I don't know where this train's headed. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know. We don't know how to navigate it. And summed up, perhaps, if you took all of that and boil it down to one phrase, would be this. Ultimately, we fear the unknown. It's not an easy thing, the unknown, because we can't predict it, like I said. We can't calculate it. We can't map it out. There's no, as a parent, I wish there was a map. There was some sort of, here's a manual for how to raise your children. Because if I had that thing, my gosh, it would be so much easier. But we're not given that. We don't get maps and and pathways forward through life's difficulties and challenges. As I said, we can't even map out what is going to happen in an hour tomorrow, a week from now, a month. We can't. And so the unknown is something we perhaps internally wrestle with, maybe even fear. And it's to this that I want to unpack for us this morning. Because it is to the unknown. It is to the unknown that God invites us so often in our journey. Yes, we know some things. There are some things scripture has has provided for us to give us some assurances. We know things such as when we die, there is another side to this life called eternity in heaven. We are given these things. But God very rarely, if ever, gives us his people every single piece of information for every single step along the way, for every single decision, for every single fill in the blank. We don't get that information. But his invitation that he extends to you, he extends to me, is this. It is a request. It is an invitation to trust. To move by faith where he leads. So when God says move over here, we say, well, no, I wanted to go over here. No, the trust says, yes. God, you're taking me here. Let's go. We see this happen in scripture many times. This this encounter that God has with his people and perhaps the best example there are so many good ones but the best example that we will take a look at this morning is the example of Abram pre-Abraham you see we're introduced to Abram at the end of chapter 11 we're given very little information other than the reality that uh, he lives in a place called Ur his father's name is Terah he lives with them they share a household together he has a wife named Sarai and a nephew named Lot That's about it. You're given really nothing else to go on. Who is this man? And why is he of all the people within the context of history, where he sits, where he breathes, where he lives, where he exists, why in chapter 12 do we turn over, does God reach out to him? There's nothing particularly miraculous or unfolding about him that would say, well, of course God talked to him. Look how amazing he is. We don't have any of that to go on. 
There are no descriptions of his character or his personality. I mean, even with David, sort of later on in his life, we get this idea that he's a, he's a man after God's own heart. And we say, oh, okay, that makes sense. This is his nature. This is, he loves pursuing God. With Abraham, we don't get any of those insights. And we know his status is not really all that socially significant. His family is nomadic. They travel where they need to go. They've got livestock. They go where the grass is. They're nomadic people. We're just introduced, and I need you to hear this, because sometimes I think when we look at the, at the Gospels, when we look at men of faith, if you go to the faith chapter in Hebrews, we look at all these people and say, wow, how did they do it? They are just like you and me. They were given no special privileges. They weren't afforded anything more beyond, no social status, no special anything more than what you and I have here today. Abram was just a regular guy doing regular things, leading a regular life. That's it. And so when we look at these men of faith, we ought not to think to ourselves, I could never. He's, oh, I could never. You can. Because he was a regular guy leading a regular life, doing regular things. See, when you get to the opening pages or the chapter of, of, of chapter 12, the opening verses, I should say. I want us to read it here together and to see it afresh. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. We have it on the screen for you there. And this is what he says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now we'll just pause there for a minute. You, you can read on if you, if you want to do that right now, but pause there for a moment and just think for a sec. We call these things in scripture theophanies. When God just shows up, unannounced, unexpected, you just, bam, here is the Lord. We've got a theophany here where God is just showing up and what an encounter that is for Abram. He shows up in Abram's life unannounced, not necessarily perhaps uninvited. I, I imagine Abram was pretty excited to meet his maker, his creator, to talk and converse with God. But within this conversation, God invites him into something amazing, the unknown. (laughs) Listen to the three requests that God puts before him. This is what he tells Abram out of the gate. He doesn't say, hey, Abram, how's your day going? I'm just really happy to show up in your life. Let's just talk for a bit. Do you got any food? Let's just hang out. None of that. Out of the gate, God's like, let's get down to business. First, I need you to go. I need you to move, to go. And second, he calls him to obedience. And thirdly, he needs to trust and walk by faith. Let's unpack these things. Abram is invited into a departure. A departure of many things. It's not an invitation for God to just call him to go. Put yourself in Abram's shoes and look at what God is asking of him. You have it there on the screen. The first thing he asks of Abram is, go from your country. Where you live, where your address is, where you call your country, your home. Let it go. This is a big ask that God is asking of Abram. It's a departure from everything he knows. 
And God doesn't leave it vague either for him. He breaks it down like this for Abraham. The overarching thing he asks him is to let go of what? His life. He tells him this, leave your country, leave your kinsmen, leave your home. Everything you've ever known, everything you've built for yourself here in this land called Ur, the family you've established, the roots you've, you've dug down deep in and established here in this community, this home, wherever you found yourself, all of that, the household you have been part of with your father, Tara, the kinsmen you see day in and day out, I want you to let it go, to move out from here. Abram is being asked to uproot his entire life. Last summer, we got a a cherry tree, and it was a mature one, so it wasn't like this little tiny sproutling. Uh, And my wife and I are, we can be decisive at times, but at this particular instance, we were not. And uh, so we got this cherry tree, and we didn't know where to put it in our yard. And so what we ended up doing is it was in a, it was in a potter, uh, uh, whatever you call those things, uh, and we put it in our flower bed, and we just said, you know, we'll figure out. Maybe in the fall uh, we'll get to it. We'll find a place to put it in our yard. I'm not sure where we're going to do it, but let's just leave it there so at least it's, it's in soil. Fall comes, we're like so busy, we couldn't get around to it, and it stayed an entire season. From the moment we got it in the summer, it would have been July 20. 22 it stayed from that summer up until this summer and so we saw it again out in there and we we're like we really need to plant this thing we really need to get it done and so at one point we just sat down and we put our heads together and said where is the best place for this we uh got advice because you can't just put it anywhere you got to know what you're doing and so we figured that out and we said we're going to plant it right here and i went to go pick it up out of the thing and it it didn't come very easily and as i looked at it i realized it had broken through the plastic uh container and rooted itself into our flower bed and so i saw this thing i was like oh i have to uproot this thing and you don't want this thing to die uh because all of it would be for nothing a they're expensive and and two we really want a cherry tree and so we had to carefully like pull it up and and uproot it and in the uprooting, if you're a person who's not like, I could care less about gardening or horticulture or any of these things, no big deal. But I just want to let you know, uprooting is a very uh, risky thing for plants. Because in the uprooting, in the upheaval of it and transplanting it into new ground, you can't just do it willy-nilly. The shock of it all can either kill the plant or dramatically stunt its growth. You don't just grab a plant and say, well, I want you over here, so I'm just going to go and boom, you're in there now. You risk killing the thing. If done incorrectly, you can stunt all of those things. Uprooting is no small thing. We, oh, just let it, no. This is a very big deal that God, and I, th- I, I gauge that you probably are, are aware of that, that this is a big deal that God is asking of Abraham. Uprooting is no small thing because this is what he's inviting him into. It's a departure from everything familiar and known. Think about his life for a moment. He knows, today I got to get up. Here's my livestock. Here's the people that I've hired out to take care of these things. I have to oversee that. Here's the family I have to tend to. Here's the father who has raised me, whom I love. I have to engage and encounter and be in relationship with him and all these, all the routines and responsibilities day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. And God is saying, let that go. Let it go. It's an invitation to take all of that familiar, all of the predictable, all of what can be calculated and say, you're letting that go. Leave it behind. 
But even beyond leaving these things behind, country, kinsmen, and home, it goes way deeper than that. Because he's asking Abram to leave himself. Yes, Abram, I want you to move here to a land I will show you, but I'm asking that you take all of who you are, your will, your needs, your wants, your desires, and leave them behind in Ur. Don't bring it with you. Follow after me. And what I mean by that is that at the heart of this big uprooting, God is, is inviting Abraham to contemplate which will is more important. Because Abram probably asked himself, however brief or fleeting that moment may have been, wait, what are you, you're asking me to let all, like, what do we do? With, like, I have all this response, I have all, all, all the predictable, all these things. Like, what do you mean? And if you were someone who is a planner, this would be a nightmare. I am not a planner. I, am a lo- I love just going with things. Um, but if you are so, I need to calculate, I need to know, I need to know the time, I need to know, I need to make sure it's all mapped out. If that was you, this is a massive ask. Because there is no planning here. God literally says to him explicitly, come with me and I'm bringing you to land. I will show you. He doesn't tell him where it is. He doesn't say, hey, we're going to go from Ottawa to Toronto. Oh, okay, yeah, I know, I know more or less the journey. I can figure that out. Doesn't give him the steps. I think for many of us in our minds, we will be playing out a list of pros and cons in our heads the moment God finished laying out this, this big request for him. Pros. Hmm, well, I'll be making a great nation. That sounds pretty promising. It's an exciting thing. I'll be making a great nation. I'll be blessed? Well, who doesn't want to be blessed? That's, that's totally, that's on the pro side. My name will be great. I'm a nobody. That's pretty phenomenal. How in the world is God going to make my name great? That's a huge pro. Cons. Mm, I have to leave all this behind, though. I won't have a map. I don't know where I'm going. What if this doesn't work out? What if God doesn't know what he's doing? What if this is too good to be true? I'll be ruined. And on and on. We can play that out. Something like that perhaps may have played out. He's only human after all. Let go of self and will. Leave country, home, and family. For what? For what? Now you have to think for a moment that in some ways this does in fact sound too good to be true. It does. Abram may have thought for however brief a moment, a great nation? If you go back to chapter 11, we're told Sarah is is barren. She can't have kids. How is God going to make me? Is he going to give me another wife? That would be a nightmare. Uh, (laughs) How is this going to work out? How is he going to turn me into a great nation? How is this going to work? Because God said he's taking me to a land, but he won't tell me where it is or what it's like. What if it's a dump? What if he's leading me to, to ruin and misery? And we can only speculate, but I think that's a very rational way of thinking. I thought it, and as I read this, I was like, what would I have thought if God came to me and said, those were all my thoughts? I think any rational, thinking human being would have had those thoughts, even if they came and went quickly. Somewhere deep down, they would have been there. And he's been invited to let all of that go. Country, kinsman, home, your address. How does Abram respond? Well, if you've read the narrative, many of us who've grown up in the church or have been Christians long enough, we know the story, we're familiar with it. 
We're told Abram's response instantly. There's no discernment process. There's no conversation with his wife. How do you navigate that? I couldn't imagine going home. Hey, Steph, uh, we got to go. Where? I don't know. (laughs) But we got to go. We got to pack it all up and leave. That would be a night. My wife's a planner. That would be a nightmare. (laughs) Here's what it says, though. In verse 4 to 5. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Can I just say that to you again? Because I think sometimes as human beings with our own needs, wants, desires, our wills, all of those things that well up within us when we're asked to do something we don't want to do. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. You see, the first thing we read about his response is that he went obediently. Very difficult. We, we all know something of obedience and disobedience. Think about your childhood. That's smack dab right in that dilemma. <laughs> be around children long enough. Be around human beings long enough. We wrestle day in and day out with obedience and disobedience, not just with God, but the things we know we ought to do and don't do, and all that goes on. No recorded questions were asked. Abram didn't ask specifics. God, what do I bring? Who should I bring? What kind of gear should I have? He doesn't ask anything. He just says, okay. Just free-flowing obedience out of Abram. See, modern thought might call this blind faith. What a fool. Who packs for a journey into the unknown without, you know, all the things one might need for that kind of journey? And we know Abram packed up his possessions, so it wasn't like he was walking out destitute. But despite what very little information we have to go on at this point, Abram was a man who knew God and feared him. Not that he was afraid. I think sometimes we misconstrue this word, the fear of the Lord. It's not a fear as in terror, though there certainly is a dread of of it to, to the nature of God in our relationship with him. We tremble before the living God. But it's not a fear of terror and and uh, afraid to be anywhere near him or any of that kind of thing. That might be part of it, but it's tied to this reverence. Abraham took what God said seriously. It wasn't just a God speaking, and it was just one opinion of many opinions, one request of many requests. It was the opinion of opinions, the request of requests. And it's to this that Abraham moves in towards. He doesn't question God or even ask God for his credentials, or even further clarity. He knows this is God speaking, and as such, his only response after God has spoken is to obey. His heart's posture is, okay, God, let's go. Let's go. I don't know where any of this is headed, but I trust you. There is no sense of delay here on Abram's part. Famous theologian uh, by the name of Thomas A. A. Kempis uh, said this, instant obedience is the only kind of obedience there is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Instant obedience 
is the only kind of obedience there is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. That is a tough thing to hear. Because sometimes I think our heart is in the right place. God leaves something to us. Well, let me pray over it. Or someone brings something and says, hey, here's the need. Well, let me think about it. Let me discern. Let me pray and pray and pray. And sometimes we end up just praying and praying and praying. And really what we're doing is avoiding. And we use spiritual rhythms, perhaps, as reasons or excuses to not enter in. I just haven't fully discerned. I haven't heard really what God has said. I think you have. (laughs) How do we move forward? How does he do that? How does he just like, okay? Because I wrestle with this. I am a human. I wrestle with it. God calls me and oh, there's a tension in it. What are you inviting me into? I'm comfortable with what I'm doing. And you're calling me out of self, out of sin, out of this life I'm living into whatever it is you have in store for me. And I don't even know what that really is. How does he do it? Somehow, some, somewhere along the way in Abram's relationship with God, trust has been built. You don't trust someone without established relationship. God coming to Abram, he knew there was something here. It wasn't blind faith or blind trust. He trusts God. And he takes God at his word that if he says he's going to do this or that thing, then despite certain intellectual facts, for example, Sarah's burden, barren, how are we going to become a great nation? Intellectually, one might think this is not going to pan out. You're wrong, God. (laughs) Do you not know the situation we're in right now as a family? Despite feelings, I'm afraid. I don't want to move to this. I don't, I don't know what to expect. God, you know I'm a person who likes to know the ins and outs or this or that, if that's your posture, and God is inviting you to let that go. And we can say, I'm afraid. Despite those things, somehow, some way, despite the intellectual feelings or emotions or facts, God is going to make it all come to fruition. Abram takes him at his word. If you say you're going to make me a great nation, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I trust you that what you say is going to happen. He's not relying on human wisdom or logic at this point because both would dictate to him, Abram, this is a crazy decision. You're out of your mind if you take this route. He's relying on a God who does what he says he's going to do And that's enough for him. What obedience. What trust. And it's no small trip either. I don't know if you think about this, but we just read in verse 5, they're headed to Canaan. Now, Abram in the land of Ur to Canaan is roughly, it's estimated, about a 640 kilometer journey. Walking. They don't have cars, electric vehicles, motorized camels. None of that. This is the equivalent, if you put it in our, in our context right now, of walking to Ottawa, just past London. If you know where Chatham, Ontario is in London, just at the halfway point, whatever that city's called, that's about the point where Abram would be walking from Ur to Canaan. That is a big journey from Ottawa to the midpoint just after London, Ontario. And if you walked it straight, nonstop, that's a six-day journey. Taking into account, this is a huge caravan of people, 
human beings with needs and, and certain wants and animals, livestock, it would have taken Abram much longer than six days with all the stops and restroom breaks. This was no easy journey. He finally gets to Canaan as we read and he has this, another amazing encounter with God. See, God has just told him, I'm bringing you to a land I will show you. And the author of Genesis has, has told us it's Canaan. He's bringing him to Canaan so we get privy to that information. Abram didn't have that information. He followed God along the way until he got to Canaan. So he's in Canaan. He's seeing what is unfolding. And in verse 7 we read, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So we've got another theophany here. He's now standing in the promised land, though it has not yet been described as such. It'll be many generations later before God's covenant promise comes to pass. Abram, Abram only gets to see what will be, not yet what is to come. His eyes won't see the great nation that God promised. All he will see are the eyes of his son Isaac, who give him so much confidence and hope that God is not a God who makes empty promises. How are you going to make me a great nation? Well, I have Isaac here. It's a start. He's doing something. He's on to some, He's moving somewhere. I'm just trying to follow. Each and every step along the way, the place God was showing him, God proved himself faithful. And beyond adequate, it wasn't just like, I'm just going to give you enough to get by. It was a God who went beyond adequate to fulfill what he said he was going to do. It's an amazing lesson for us because today's obedience, hear me when I say this, today's obedience in your life and my life, today's obedience can have incredible impact on future outcomes. Your obedience today can shift and change things in the future if you simply step out like Abram did and said, okay, God, let's go. What lives will be touched by your choice to say, okay, God, I don't, know, I don't have the words to say. I don't know exactly what you're calling me into, but I'll talk to my coworker. I don't know the outcomes of the things, but you're calling me to move. I'll quit my job. I'll move where you're calling me. Your obedience today can shift drastically future outcomes. See, as God showed up in Abram's story, he shows up in ours as well. And yes, it's perhaps not as dramatic. He doesn't invite us into the, he invites us into the same thing, but in a different way. You might not hear him say the same things he said to Abram, but the nature of them is still there. In a lot of ways, this initial conversation God, God has with Abram is a precursor to the gospel. Isn't it? That God incarnate showed up in the person of Jesus Christ, and he invites all who hear the good news, the gospel, to leave it all behind and come follow me. We don't know exactly every single detail what the destination will be like. We just call it heaven or eternity. Because the truth is no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. We don't know. We just know that it's a destination. Gold streets, sure, mansions waiting. We don't know exactly what that's going to be like can't even conceive it can only imagine it but in order to get there like abram we are invited we are given an invitation 
Are you willing to leave it all behind and move by faith and trust to the place that God is showing you? And I'm not talking about heaven. That is to come. But in today, in the here and now, for followers of Jesus, we know there is an end destination. But God isn't inviting you to sit and wait until that day, staring up at the sky like the apostles did after Jesus ascended and the angels come. What are you looking up for? Get to work. He will return just as he left. You, need, you have a task to do. Do your job. Go into all the world and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We are being given this invitation all the time as we certainly move towards eternity, but each day it is a move towards becoming more like Jesus. You see, ultimately the promised land, while a promise kept by God, we see it come to fruition. You, you see Joshua taking the land and most of the land. <laughs> you see him doing all these things and, and entering in to the promise that God has said he will fulfill. But it would still fall so far short of what Israel truly needed. They didn't need milk and honey as if that was the be all end all. Come to land, I will show you. It's got milk and honey. Everything you could ever want or need will be there. Your human desires and satisfactions might be there, but your heart would still be left unchanged. They needed a savior who would come and truly redeem and restore his people. Jesus is the inheritance. Jesus is the inheritance. The promised land was something they entered into, but Jesus comes into us as he came, God incarnate, in the flesh, died on the cross, rose again, invites us into this new life, and he says, I'm not just bringing you into something. I am coming into your life. I will dwell within you. I will be your God. You will be my people. Are you willing to move, to allow God to uproot you, your life, because where you are is not the best place? It is a place. You might be experiencing God's blessing, his goodness, his favor, and all of these provisions, but it is not the best place. We are always called to move to become more like Jesus. The character and quality, the rate perhaps at which you scale it, I'm kind of like up here like Jesus. He's saying, okay, tomorrow we're going to go up here, and the day after that, let's go up here. And up here. We are constantly in this process that Scripture calls sanctification. We are always called into it. Are you willing to move where God is bringing you? He has so much more to show you to lead you into, to take you into a deeper walk in your life with him. We are called to be a people who move towards Jesus, not just a one-off moment where 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, we made a profession of faith and said, Jesus, I surrender. I give my life to you. That was a moment, a moment of many moments we are invited into. It's each day why? Because when God entered into that conversation with Abram, he didn't say, I'm coming just to bless you, to make your name great, to make a great nation. It all hinged on this amazing truth that he told Abram, you are being blessed right now in the here and now because of what? So that you can be a blessing 
I don't give you these blessings to hoard, to hold on to. And that was Israel's, Israel's heart, wasn't it? Look at this land. Look at all that. And they took it for themselves, and they didn't think for a moment that God was inviting the whole world. You are blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed as Abraham was blessed, that others would be blessed by you. Today's obedience can have incredible outcomes if we, like Abraham, go as the Lord has told us. Because he's leading us into something good. The late Eugene Peterson, uh, the author of The Message and many great books, wrote this. Obedience is not a stodgy plodding in the ruts of religion. It is a hopeful race towards God's promises. Obedience is not a stodgy plodding in the ruts of religion. It is a hopeful race towards God's promises. Where is he leading you? What is he asking you to let go of? Maybe it's your will. You've been battling it out inwardly. God has spoken to you. He's invited you into something. You're saying, that's a tough one, God. I don't know about this. Back and forth, our battle of the wills plays out. Trying to find the way forward on your own. The best laid plans for your life, your future. The things you want to see happen. What would it look like for you today to lay that down and let his will be the guiding force of your life? Maybe it's location. I know some people have physically been called by God to move. I'm taking you from here and I'm bringing you to a country because I want to use you for my kingdom. But beyond even just the physical location, your address, could God perhaps be calling you out of your job into another one? It's a big question. That's a big ask. Or let go of your job because he's been actually calling you into ministry. But you're fighting it. Because that looks scary. This is not that scary. What's scary is all the stuff behind the scenes, the hard conversations, all of those things in ministry. But what, is that, what does that look like for you? I think a bigger question for us to ask as the church here and now is where is he leading us? Where is he leading Eastgate Alliance? We're not islands who gather here collectively. You are not your own. You are not your own. You, child of God, were bought with a price. We are not islands. We are here, the body of Christ. We gather as family, as brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. Where are we headed? Where is this going? What is Jesus inviting us, Eastgate Alliance, into? What is he asking us to let go of? We make no assumptions that everything we do is perfect. (laughs) We are broken people serving broken people, serving a gracious God. But we need not be afraid. Abram wasn't. He heard the invitation, left it all, and moved by faith to where God was leading. Oh, that we could do the same thing. That we could do the same and see the things that God would do in us and through us if we would just say, okay, let's go. A.B. Simpson wrote this, the gospel that the world needs most is not a new creed, but a new life. Not new truths, but new living realities. Not better ideas, but more strength to fulfill them. 
The only way to make this real to those around us is to live it. Not so to live it that they see our character, but rather so they shall see Christ behind us and reflected through us. May our faithful moving be unencumbered by fear, worry, or the unknown, but a humble trust in a loving, gracious, all-knowing, all-powerful, wonder-working God who called you and still calls you to this day, come follow me. Amen. Worship team, you can come on up. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word that it is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, that it could pierce the soul and heart. God, we are a people, I think if we were really honest enough, we might not be able to say it out loud, but inwardly we know we have divided, divided affections. That there are things we chase after in this life, success, privilege, job, favor, praise of man, the best whatever, fill in the blank. And God, like Abram, you stand before us and invite us to let all that go. God, would you give us such a deep sense of trust that you are a God who is good, you are gracious, you are loving, you are kind. And if we took all of those qualities into consideration, when you invite us into something, we need not be afraid. Because you are good, you are gracious, you are loving, you are kind. God, would you, would you be the driving force? Would you be behind the wheel of our lives? That we would relinquish our rights, our roles, our very wills, as hard as that may be, but it is in the beauty of surrender we find everything, everything that we could ever need in Jesus Christ. God, would you have your way in our church? Lord, would you lead us, lead us, your people? We can't move forward with our human wisdom and thinking and ingenuity. God, by your spirit, would you lead Eastgate Alliance into whatever it is that you are leading us into? For stagnant hearts to come alive, for dry bones to breathe and experience new life. God, there are some here who have been walking a journey of faith, trudging along, as Eugene Peterson said, in a stodgy plotting of religion. God, would you bring us out of our religion into a reality that you have invited us into a life of relationship and faith? God, would you have your way in our hearts? God, I pray against the work of the enemy that would say in even these moments, it's not worth it, don't do it. Don't give up your will to God. He's not as good as he says he is. He's not leading you anywhere good. Stay on, stay the course because what you're doing, oh, it's so good. There's satisfaction in your job, in the money you make, in the success, the home, the car, the tech, whatever it is. God, I, I break that off in the name of Jesus because those things do not fulfill the promise of our hearts, of what we truly need, what we want, what we desire. They will never fulfill. God, lead us along in your will, in your time, and in your way so that we would become like Christ in the day in and the day out of this life that is so often difficult. But God, even in the difficulty, you go before us, you stand behind us, and you lead us along. So Jesus, we invite you into that in our lives.
Amen.